0: Hello, this is Swami Janeshwar. This recording is entitled, The Million Dollar Question. It is about the last, the hardest, and the most important question of non-dual yoga meditation and contemplation. The presentation was at the Center for Non-Dualism on May 25, 2008. Please see the website, centerfornondualism.org, and my personal website at swamijay.com. I hope you enjoy the presentation. What happened with this talk, the million-dollar question, uh, Felicia has been doing a wonderful job of, of helping with the scheduling of all of this, and so I was, I missed I think six weeks, maybe seven Sundays, because of being in India, and so I think she was playing catch-up on me. So I was up here two weeks ago, and then she had me up today, and that's quite okay. I, I love doing this. And, but so I had thought in my mind I had a, I previously I had a little list of upcoming topics that I could do. so when there was one, I just there it was. And I had made a boo-boo. The, the couple I had ahead I had actually done. So two weeks ago, I, in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, no problem, when it's time, I'll just look it up on the thing, oh, that's what I was going to do next. Well, it wasn't there. So I thought, what am I going to talk on next? And this little intuition came and I said, and it was something like, well, somebody will tell you. Yeah, well, OK, what am I supposed to talk about? And I, and it, again, the thing came, well, somebody from and it wasn't an exact word from this circle of people or the, or the they overlap or the circle of people that come over to the ashram. Somebody will say, I'd love to hear you talk about so-and-so or I want to know about so-and-so. Well, it wasn't happening and it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. It was not. Not concerned. I can walk in the door, push the go button and I'll just go. So I thought, well, maybe that's what's happening and I'm kind of smiling and I've forgotten exactly when it. I think it was Sunday morning last week or maybe Saturday night, Felicia, I I presume planning for the next day when she was going to announce the next week's speaker, wanted to know the topic. And so she writes to me an email. I open my email box. And Felicia says to me, and the million dollar question is, what is the name of your topic? <laughs> and I wrote her back and I said, Well, the name of the topic is the million dollar question. And so there's actually that's really the end of the talk because I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> that, was a nice story. No, that was it. The million-dollar question comes, to my understanding, from a game show that was around, what, 40 years ago or something like that. And what the participant did, they were given a question, and if they answered the question, they, could, they won a certain amount of money. And if you, if you won, then you had the option of taking that money and leaving or going up to the next level of money, and you'd get another question. And if you got it right, you could again cash out or go on, and it kept working its way up. And finally, you ended up with the million dollar question. And if you won, you won. if you got that question right, you got the million dollars and that was the end of the game. So, that million dollar question comes after all of the other questions. It supersedes all of them. When you finally get to that question, there are no other questions. Okay? And if you think about this game show, what are the relative importance of those questions along the way? The first question on the first day is really not terribly important. I don't know what you made, a hundred dollars or a thousand or something. Nice pocket change, but not a million dollars. So, compared to those first questions, the million dollar question is very big. The others pale by comparison. They're just little questions, okay? Here's a question. And as I say these questions, allow your own mind to respond to them internally. Let your own fantasy, your own imagination, come up with something. And if your mind doesn't come up with something for every one of these questions, it doesn't matter. If it's even only, you know, one out of three, that's good enough. But just notice that your mind will, in fact, generate automatically responses. What is my nationality? Where did I come from? Meaning, where did I come from? Mind may say, well, I come from America or somewhere else. Where did I come from? What city was I born in? The mind answers. Where did I come from? Who are my parents? Mind answers. Who are my grandparents, my great-grandparents? Mind may not know all the answer to that, but it may know some of it again where where did I come from what is my earlier ancestry which countries did it come from you know the genome project you know this genome project has been done tracing us back to that original theoretical Adam and Eve somewhere in Africa where did I come from was I born from a womb Where did I come from? Am I from some previous life, a prior incarnation? Where did I come from? Am I from another world, another galaxy, another plane of reality? Where did I come from? Was I previously an animal in another life, if there is such a thing? If so, what animal was I? that I remember? Where did I come from? Did I come from God? Where did I come from? Did I come from genes? Is this only material world? Where did I come from? Do you feel the questions? Why? Why am I here? again allow your mind internally to have some responses why am I here did God put me here did I put me here did karma put me here why am I here why am I in the job that I'm in why am I here Why do I have the relationships that I have? Why am I here in those relationships? Why am I here in this town, in this part of the country? Why am I here in this room today? Why? Why do I think this way compared to that way? Why? Why do I feel emotionally the way that I feel? Why? Why do people like me? Why do people not like me? Why do I act the way that I act? Why do I eat the way that I eat? Why do I exercise? or why do I not exercise why why do I meditate or if I don't why do I not meditate why do I keep asking why (laughs) when when did I first exist Something comes from the back of the mind. You may not know if it's true, but some response comes from the back of your mind. When did I first exist? Was it this life? Another life? When will I die? How will I die? When will I meet God? When will I become enlightened? When? When will that problem with that person that I know be resolved? When will that money problem go away? When will true spiritual guidance finally come? When? When will I finish that important task I've been working on for all this time? When will I finish it? When? When will I do what I really want to do? When? What do I want? What? What do I want? Think of your house in relation to that. What do I want? Think of your job, the work you do, the service you do. What do I want? What do I really want in relation to that? God, spirit, religion, philosophy. In that arena, what do I want? Think of your best friend. What do I want? from or with that friend think of your worst enemy what do I want from that person or for that person to do what do I want think of your emotions your common emotional states what do I want In politics, in the world, what do I want? In our economy, the worldly economy, what do I want? Think of the neighborhood where your house is, all the people. What do I want in or from that neighborhood to be different? What do I want? Beyond all of that, at the deepest level I know, what do I want? What do I want? Here's something that I've written, it's on my website. I entitled it, Who Seeks Self-Realization? Quietly, internally, reflect on these questions as a meditation in action. We say, I am a man or woman. I am a daughter, son, father, mother, sister, or brother. I am from this or that country. I am the doer of this or that action. I am good or bad. I am happy or sad. I am a seeker. I am spiritual. I am a lover of God. We speak of my home, my family, my friends, my enemies, my job, my stuff, my strengths, my weaknesses, my thoughts, my emotions, my problems, my joy, my karma, my past, my future, my spiritual past, even of my God. What is this I and my who claims to be and own such things? Are these things, these claims and identities, who I really am? What are these things, these objects, this world? What is the stuff of which they are made? And from where do all of these many things arise? Who am I, really? Who am I? One who is not able to refrain from asking such nagging questions is a candidate to travel the path of self-realization, wherein all of these questions are resolved in the direct experience of the non-dual absolute reality. Who am I? Kyoham. Sanskrit. Kyoham. Who am I? Soham. I am that. Aham brahmasmi. I am that absolute reality. Shivoham. I am Shiva. Many ways of saying that. With all that I want, who is it that is wanting it? Who am I? Do I want it or is it the desire itself? Who is the one who asks from where I come? Who is the one who asks what I want? Who is the one who asks when about this or that? Here is the million-dollar question. Here is the million-dollar question. Who am I? It all comes down to that. There is one underneath the one who asks from where have I come. There is one underneath the one who asks, what do I want? There is one underneath the one who asks, when about this or that. There is one underneath the one who even asks, who am I? Who is the one who poses the question, who am I? That one is the one to be known. There's another little piece that I wrote talks about the stages of this. There are many, many objects in the world, in the mind, including the objects of meditation. However, none of these objects are who I am. All of those objects are experienced through the senses, whether the physical organs or the mental sensing instruments. These tools of sensing are also not who I am. I am not my senses even if they are the subtlest metaphysical senses. The senses present those impressions to the mind, which processes all of those impressions. This mind is also not who I am, however intelligent and productive that mind or intelligence may be. Who is it whom the mind presents all those impressions? Mind presents the impressions. Who is it presenting it to? Who is the witness? The yogi or yogini turns away from the objects in the quest to resolve this question. The yogi goes beyond even the instruments of sensing, whether physical or subtle, seeing them too as not enough. The yogi or yogini even sees that the mind itself is an instrument and seeks the stillness and silence beyond the mind. To the yogi or yogini, meditation starts with but then goes beyond mere objects so as to explore and go beyond the sensing instruments to then examine and set aside the mind itself so as to dwell in the pure consciousness that is the recipient and witness of all of this. Ultimately, the question of self-realization comes down to the single question, who is it that is doing the experiencing? To whom is all of this information being presented? All of the questions arise seeking to be answered, seeking to have a response. And who is it that is ultimately the recipient of all of those answers? Who am I? Here's a few quotes from some others sage Ribhu, the Ribhu Gita. Inquiry should be made this wise with the kind help of the Satguru, one should inquire, who am I? What is this world? What is the reality behind these? Only by those strong-willed persons who make earnest and persistent self-inquiry will the turbulent mind be controlled and fixed still in the practice of firm Bhavana. Bhavana is that passion of emotion. In due course, all thoughts and niscience, knowledge, will disappear, yielding place to the effulgent self-awareness of mukti, liberation. Valmiki, in the Yoga Vashishta, says, The great remedy for the long-lasting disease of samsara, the cycle of births and deaths, is the inquiry, who am I? To whom does that samsara, that cycling, belong? which entirely cures it, cures the cycling process. Says, O Rama, this inquiry into the self of the nature, or who am I, is the fire which burns up the seeds of the evil tree, which is the mind. Inquiry itself burns up the samskaras. Tandavaraya Swami, Disciple, what is this inquiry? Master, inquiry consists in pondering over the questions, who is this I in the body, including mind and senses, etc. What is sentience? Knowing. What is insentience? What is their combination called bondage? And what is release? Seek to resolve the questions. Swami Sivananda writes, serve, love, give, purify, meditate, realize, be good, do good, be kind, be compassionate, but inquire, who am I? Know the self and be free. Swami Satyananda Saraswati writes, If you ask me who I am, I will cite my name, my tribe, my clan, my nationality. But am I that? Who am I? Have you ever posed this question to yourself? Who am I? Am I this body with a certain name and social status? If I am only that, then the whole spiritual philosophy is bunkum. If I am what I can comprehend in this moment and nothing beyond that, if this is my identity, my description, my definition, this physical body, this name, this Hindu, Muslim, Christian, this man, this woman, then don't talk of spiritual life. Spiritual life begins when I start to doubt my own definition of myself. It starts when I pose this question again. Who am I? Am I the body, am I the mind, am I the senses? Am I the experience of pain and pleasure? Am I time, am I space? Finally, you have to come to the answer. No, I am not this. I am a seer of this. I am not the body, but a seer, a witness of the body. I am not the mind, but I see the mind. I am not the pain and pleasure, I see them. I am not this. I am a seer of all of this. I am not a flower, but a seer of the flower. So I become a seer, a witness. When I close my eyes, I see what I see as a seer. With my eyes open, whatever I see around me, I see, but I am not part of it. you know the name Ramana Maharshi? He's one of the modern non-dualists who is most known. He left the body around 1950 or 51, 52. It's, if you ever, near Tiramanavallai in South India. It's Mount Arunachal. It's a beautiful place. There's a wonderful energy still there. And he's a highly regarded person in the process of self-inquiry. Here's some questions that we're asking them. Question. What is the path of inquiry for understanding the nature of the mind? Answer. That which rises as I in this body is the mind. If one inquires as to where the body... Where in the body the thought I rises first, one would discover that it arises in the heart. That is the place of the mind's origin. Even if one thinks constantly, I, I, one will be led to that place. Of all the thoughts that arise in the mind, the thought I is the first. It is only after the rise of this that the other thoughts arise. It is after the appearance of the first personal pronoun that the second and the third personal pronouns appear. Without the first personal pronoun, there would not be the second and third. Question, how will the mind become quiescent? Answer, by, inquiry, by the inquiry, who am I? The thought who am I will destroy all other thoughts, and like the stick used for stirring the burning pyre, it will itself in the end get destroyed then there will arise self-realization. Question, what is the means for constantly holding on to the thought, who am I? When other thoughts arise, one should not pursue them, but should inquire, to whom do they arise? It does not matter how many thoughts arise. As each thought arises, one should inquire with diligence, to whom has this thought arisen? The answer that would emerge would be, to me. Thereupon, if one inquires, who am I, the mind will go back to its source, and the thought that arose will become quiescent. With repeated practice in this manner, the mind will develop the skill to stay in its source. When the mind that is subtle goes out through the brain and the sense organs, the gross names and forms appears, but when it stays in the heart, the names and forms disappear not letting the mind go out but retaining it in the heart is what is called inwardness antar mukha let the mind go out of the heart is known as externalization thus when the mind stays in the heart the eye which is the source of all thoughts will go and the self which ever exists will shine whatever one does one should do with without the egoity i if one acts in that way all will appear as of the nature of Shiva or God. Question Are there no other forms for making the mind quiescent? Other than inquiry, there are no adequate means. If through other means it is sought to control the mind, the mind will appear to be controlled, but it will again go forth through the control of breath also. The mind will become quiet, but it will be quiet only so long as the breath remains controlled. And when the breath resumes, the mind also will again start moving and will wander as impelled by the residual impressions. The source is the same for both mind and breath. Thought, indeed, is the nature of mind. The thought, I, is the first thought of the mind, and that is egoity. It is from that whence egoity originates that the breath also originates. Therefore, when the mind becomes quiescent, the breath is controlled, and when the breath is controlled, the mind is quiescent. But in deep sleep, although the mind becomes quiescent, the breath does not stop. This is because of the will of God, so that the body may be preserved and other people may not be under the impression that it is dead. In the state of waking and in samadhi, when the mind becomes quiescent, the breath is controlled. Breath is the gross form of mind. Till the time of death, the mind keeps breath in the body, and when the body dies, the mind takes the breath along with it. Therefore, the exercise of breath control is only an aid for rendering the mind quiescent. It will not destroy the mind. Here meaning the positive aspects of destroying the noise of the mind. Like the practice of breath control, meditation on the forms of God, repetition of mantras, restriction of food, are aids for rem- or for rendering the mind quiet. Do you know the name David Frawley? David Frawley is a Western person. I think he lives in New Mexico. He's probably the most highly regarded westerner in India of the ancient traditions. He's a scholar and he's a practitioner and he's a, a very good, brilliant fellow. And if you ever get a chance to read some of his material, it's uh, it's very good. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I want to touch on. He, he mentioned something here about self-inquiry being the primary method to self-realization. And that it in some form or another is useful for all people, regardless of whether they're ready to do the depth of the practice. Then he describes in very simple terms how it works because of the teaching of self self-inquiry is direct and simple. Its literature is not as extensive as that of other yogic practices. In addition, the path of self-inquiry demands a certain ripeness or readiness of mind that may require other practices to develop. So there's not much written on it. It's too simple. It's too simple. It's too straightforward. And yet you'll find it permeating Upanishads and the teachings of Hinduism and Buddhism. Personally, I find it throughout the teachings of the Bible. Our thoughts consist of two components. The first is the subjective factor, I, me, or mind. The second is an objective factor, a state, condition, or object with which the I is involved. Particularly, the activities of our own body and mind. The habit of mind is to get caught in the object portion and never look within to recognize the two part, self apart from the eternal, apart from the external concerns. The truth is that we don't really know who we are. What we call our self is but some thought, emotion or sensation that we are temporarily identified with and that is constantly changing. Self-inquiry does not consist of merely repeating the question, who am I, over and over again in our minds, which only is a tiring mental exercise. It means holding to the search for the true self in all that one does. It requires that we have a real and fundamental doubt about who we are through which we can reject all outer identifications. It is as if one had amnesia and didn't know who one was and had to give full attention to the matter before anything else could be done. It is not merely an intellectual or psychological inquiry, but an inquiry with one's entire energy and attention. It requires a full and one-pointed concentration. It means to constantly question and reverse the process of extroversion by seeking out the origin of our awareness and our energy in the heart. It questions our entire identity as an embodied being. It does not stop short with some general identity as human, cosmic, or spiritual being but rejects any formation of thought as our true nature. The true self is not bound by human distinctions. He describes briefly in the stages. First, one discriminates the seer from the external objects. Second, one discriminates the seer from the sense organs. Third, one discriminates between the seer and the mental states. Fourth, one discriminates between the seer and the ego itself, the I amness itself. Fifth, one abides in the pure self devoid of objectivity. It is best to do this process by degrees, taking one's time at each stage. All is contained in the fifth state of abiding as the seer. When we return to the state of the seer, All that we see merges back into the light of seeing, revealing its nature as pure consciousness. The million-dollar question. Who am I? That is the million-dollar question. Just like the game show, it is the last question. It is also the hardest question. And it is the most important question. It is the question that supersedes all other questions. It is the question that is not in the past. It is a question that has no future. It is the question by which all other questions are pale by comparison. Who am I? Who am I is the million dollar question.